Well, take your Bible and look over to 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, and we find ourselves in that news section in verses 11, and I'll just take us through 15 today, or maybe I'll read through 18, on loving one another. In fact, let me read the text for you. 4, 311, 1 John 311, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now we have been examining the book of 1 John and have been walking through it. And in this section that we find ourselves in, beginning at 2.28, John is giving us six distinguishing marks that identify the children of God that we might know who is his and who is not. He's just taking us through the characteristics. He's taking us through the distinguishing marks of what the children of God look like what the children of God are characterized by. Now, in your, in your notes there that were provided this morning in the bulletin, you can see that we've walked through those first five. The, ch- the children of God have a pattern of abiding, have a pattern or a practice of righteousness in 229. We are privileged to be in God's family in 3.1. We have a pursuit of purity. We want to be like Him. We do not, and that's what we finished, practice sin. And here I'm going to add this morning to our list that those who are children of God are those who love one another, okay? We love one another. In fact, look in your text. Do you remember the summary last week in 1 John 3.10 where it says this, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then this little comma, it's where we left off, nor the one who does not love his brother. And so he says there's a practice of righteousness But that one is a child of God who practices it. But if you don't, you're not a child of God. Nor are you a child of God if you do not love your brother. And so I take us up now on that sixth distinguishing mark of the children of God, our love for one another. And it runs, I could say, from 310b down through verse 18. In fact, the key verse in this section is verse 14. Look there where it says, we know, how do we know, John, that we have passed out of death into life. Why, John? Because we love the brothers. That's how we know. Now, what John does here, once again, is set forth our love for one another as a test or not whether our faith is genuine, if we've really got the real thing. He kind of what he does in 1 John is build what I call a a spiral staircase. And he repeats some of these themes. The theme of moral righteousness. The theme of obedience. The theme of loving one another. But as he brings us back to this theme, he just keeps taking us up the staircase each way. Not saying the same thing, but actually deepening his argument deepening the truth. And here, once again, as we looked at chapter 2, 7 through 11, on our ability to love the brothers, he's going to bring us back to that point now that we need to love the brethren. And that in itself 
is a distinguishing mark of the child of God. In fact, we might ask what distinguishes a true believer from a false one is in fact our love for one another. The one, John says, that does not love his brother very simply but profoundly is a child of the devil. I mean, that's just that simple. The the people of God, back to our outline, abide. The people of God practice righteousness. The people of God understand the weight of being in God's family. We pursue purity. We don't practice sin as a lifestyle. And now, if you're really of God, you will love one another. Now, glance down in chapter 3 at the end of verse 10, where it says, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, now certainly, a brother in this context, I believe, is a Christian. Elsewhere, in the account of the Good Samaritan, a brother was anyone who had a what? Had a need. But here, in this context, he is addressing our love for one another. And, And it's not a general statement to anybody, is your brother who has a need. The reason I say that is, look over at 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. He's talking about the people in the family of God. In 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been, what? Born of him. So he's identifying the brother, the brothers, the sisters, if you want to say, as those who are born of God. And then pick up the text in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And what John then begins to do is cite the characteristics of authentic love. In other words, here's the message we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Let's move through those characteristics that are on your outline. Here, under that sixth principle, Letter A is the command to love one another. The command to love one another. Look what John says. Look again in your text at verse 11. For this is the message. Stop there just for a second. That's the message of the gospel. In other words, it's the message that they have heard. It's the message that was proclaimed to them by the apostles and by the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what John says, though, under this command. In verse 11, he says, this is the message that you have heard from him. It says, from the beginning. In other words, John, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, said, from the earliest days of your conversion, you have heard this. From the earliest days when you trusted the gospel message, you've heard this teaching. In other words, John is saying, hold fast to what you've heard. And certainly in the context here, these new false teachers were coming along peddling something. And probably one of the things they were saying is that it really doesn't matter what you do with people on a vertical level as long as you have knowledge or on a horizontal level. As long as you have knowledge, you're okay. Knowledge was everything. John says, oh, no, 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 time out here. If you don't manifest a love for one another, you're not even his child. And so he goes on to say, listen, for this is the message that you heard from the earliest days. Now look look back at chapter 2, verse 7. That's not new to us. Remember what John said in 2.7 of the same book? Beloved, he said, I am writing you no new commandment. I'm writing you an old commandment that you had from the, what? The beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. In other words, he's just taking them back to the declaration of the gospel message itself that they had heard. If you look in your Bible, look at 1 John 2, 24. He says it again there. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. In other words, the the apostles delivered apostolic truth, and they had heard it from the beginning. And I think John's just saying, we taught you this. Then you might ask the question, well, where did John get it from? Look back in 1 John 1, 5, just for a moment. And you remember when he said, and he articulates that same phrase, this is the message, but look what it says in 1, 5. This is the message we heard, have heard from 
Who? Him. John got the message from Jesus. In other words, John's saying to his readers, us, we taught you this. I received this from the Lord Jesus Christ. We got it from Christ. But here the false teachers were communicating something new. And you ever hear that old analogy? What is, what is new is usually not true. In other words, you get back to the apostolic doctrine. Now the question is, what was it that they have heard from the beginning? Well, look at the text again in 3.11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should, what? Love one another. That's the message that they had heard. In other words, this is not a new message. When you embrace the gospel, we told you about this. You are, as a body, and forget them, you, at Grace Church of the Valley, are commanded by the Spirit of God, by the apostles, by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command. You have, so I'm not talking about other people, I'm talking about you. You are commanded to love people in the body of Christ. Now, John says it here. He says it other places, and I'll dovetail back. Look over at 323. This is not just a a word that he gave right here. John says in 323, this is his commandment. What is it, John? That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and what? Love one another just as he has commanded us. Glance down in your Bible in chapter 4 in verse 7. Beloved, John says, let us, what? Love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been, what? Born of God and knows God. Look down at 4.11. It says there, beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to, what? Love one another. We're commanded to love each other. I mean, I think, remember when Jesus said this in John 13? He said, a new commandment I give to you. Back in the gospel, he said that you love one another even as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. It's a new commandment. It's not that it's a new, that it's never been heard before, but Jesus said, it's a new commandment that I give to you. And what made it new is Jesus. It is that it's a new commandment that I give to you, that as I have loved you, you are to love another. How did he love us? By what? By dying for us. I mean, the Old Testament talked about loving one another, but it became a new commandment in the teaching of Christ because his example made it a new commandment. In other words, he modeled that love that was quoted in the Old Testament in the New by his death. And I'm thinking of Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? He died for us. In other words, the love of God is not new, but his death, his sacrifice, his gift of service to us it, of the cross is a new commandment. So the command here is to love our fellow believers. Listen, is one of the greatest distinguishing marks of a genuine believer. You say, well, Pastor, that doesn't sound very great. Well, no, that's what it is. Do you love the body of Christ? In other words, he's writing that you may know you have eternal life. Do you love the people of God? Do you love one another in active, sacrificial service? Do you lay your life down for other people? Now, all John's saying is this is a distinguishing mark, and I suppose today I'm preaching to the choir. I understand. But listen, if you love the people of God and want to be around the people of God and gather around the word of God and see your life not for yourself, but in view of other people, then that distinguishes you as a child of God. Now, again, I want to make this clear that once again, this love is not an isolated act of love, but John once again employs present tense language to present an ongoing practice of love towards other believers. So here's just the command of love. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you are to love one another. Now, what John does next then is use Cain as the antithetical opposite, if you will, the antithesis of genuine love. I mean, here's what a believer avoids. So here's the command of love 
followed by the antithesis of love, which is murder. It's a fascinating text. In fact, look what John said in verse 12. He said, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. In other words, let us not be like Cain. And the text says there that Cain was of the evil one. In other words, he's in association, if you will, with the devil. Do you remember when Jesus said in John 8, 44, you are of the father, your devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was, Jesus said to the religious leaders, a murderer from the what? From the beginning. And so here, he's speaking about Cain. He said Cain was of the evil one. And when you look at that term in verse 12, who was of the evil one, there's different words in the Greek language for evil. But this is the one that's intensified. This is the one that's speaking of Cain, that he was aggressively evil. The thought in the text is that he's fervently evil. In other words, there's evil, then there's evil, and this is the worst one. It's the evil that's in active opposition to all that is good. And so what Cain did is he showed his spiritual connection to Satan by murdering his brother. And so Cain then functions in this text as a member of the devil's family because he bears the family resemblance. He is murderous like the devil is. And Cain fulfills the proverb, like father, like what? Like son. Now, I don't want to just skip over that. Would you turn to that passage in Genesis 4? I mean, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. It's the only Old Testament quote that John provides in his book here, 1 John. So let me take you, and I think it's, you're, it, you're familiar with it. And we know that we should not be like Cain who murdered his brother. Here's the account, Genesis chapter 4. Let's touch on it. It said, and remember, we're just, first three chapters is the creation. The fall happened in chapter 3. We're in chapter 4, okay? Now, and I'm picking up at verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, okay? And again, she bore his brother, Abel, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now this, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and what? Killed him. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow, what a passage. He rose up in the field and killed his brother. I mean, a couple of things you identify there. First, his parents, his mom and dad were what? Adam and Eve. And presumably, Adam and Eve told him all about sin and presumably told him all about the sacrifice that was made a provision for them in their garden. And I point out to you that Cain and Abel were raised in the same home. They were raised, if you will, and had the same influence. And I just point out to you that Cain here is presented not as a pagan unbeliever. He's presented here as a worshiper. And I think that's John's point, right? He brought an offering to God. And as the text said, God didn't accept his offering, but God accepted Abel's. 
And so as a result of that, Cain murdered his brother Abel, and then he lied about telling God that he did not know where Abel was. You say, what exactly happened in that transaction? Well, it's kind of hard to pinpoint why Abel's was accepted and Cain's was not. But we do know this from Hebrews 11.4, that by faith, it says, Abel offered to God, it says, a more acceptable sacrifice through Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. So you would say, at least at the outset, when you're talking about Cain and Abel, Abel presented this offering, and he presented it, Hebrews 11.4, by faith. I mean, it would seem, if you look back in Genesis 3.21, and I don't want to go too far in this. You want to be careful not to overspeak on the Scripture, that Cain offered his sacrifice from the ground. And it seems that the, the offering did not cost him anything. In other words, Abel seemed to brought the firstborn of his flock. Cain, on the other hand, though I'm thinking Adam and Eve had instructed him, just brought something from the ground. And so God was displeased. You say, well, that's unkind. No, that's disobedient, if you will. I think he knew what he was to bring. And not only did it displease the Lord, but the Lord said to him that if you do what's right, you will be what? Accepted. And God was reasoning with Cain. And God gave Cain an opportunity to obey him. But listen, Cain spurned his counsel. And God said to him, Cain, sin is crouching at your door and you must what? You've got to master it. You've got to rule over it. You've got to control it. But he refused. Listen. And his anger boiled, if you will, and he murdered his brother. Now, I don't, I don't want to get too graphic. You say, how did, he, how did he, he killed him? Well, yeah, he did kill him. But it's an intense word, okay? Not trying to be gross. It means to cut the throat, okay? And when, when Cain murdered his brother Abel, it was an act, beloved, of brutal slaughter. There's different words to kill. And, and here in the text in Genesis, he chose the one that he cut the throat. It means to butcher him, okay? That's what he did. I mean, I don't, I, I, I'll stop there to, to, to not go into further detail, but it was a vicious act. You say, well, why did he do it? I mean, why, why did Cain murder his brother? Do we know? Do, do we know the motive? Do we understand exactly? And my answer would be, yes, I exactly know what it is. Because the Bible says why he murdered him. You say it does? Yeah. Go back to 1 John. Go back to the text. I'm going to show you the motive, right? We're always, you're looking in this case for the motive. You say, was there a motive? Yes. John tells you. He says, don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one in 3.12, and murdered his brother. And here's the question John asks. And why did he murder him? Here's why. Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were what? Righteous. Make no mistake about it. Cain murdered his brother, not because Abel was wicked, but the very opposite reason. Abel's actions were righteous, and his brothers were evil, and Cain despised his righteous brother Abel. So Abel, look at it this way, his obedience rebuked Cain's disregard for God's will. And as Cain stood in the presence of Abel's righteous life, he could not stand it, honestly. And so he, therefore, got rid of the person who made him miserable. And so Cain's hatred then produced the murder. And bitter jealousy lay behind Cain's wicked act. Listen, I want to say too, this sin is not reserved for those whom we deem always worthy to be put behind bars, but it's reserved for the religious establishment of the day who murdered Jesus Christ. Motivated by jealousy and hatred, they murdered our precious Lord. And so what's frightening in this context, 
Listen, he's not pulling an example out of the world. He's pulling an example out of the inside of what Cain did. So Cain then exemplifies the hatred of the world towards God's children. In fact, look on in the text in verse 13. Do you understand this a little bit now? It seemed to be kind of dropped in there. John says in 3.13, do not be surprised, brothers, if the what? If the world hates you. And again, the world here, as we've seen in John, is the people who are bound up in the wicked systems, who are members, if you will, of God's, of, of, of the devil's family. I mean, I think it's, you know, just a little comment here about the election. It's, it's kind of amazing that a party would champion homosexual marriage and at the same time champion the right of a mother over a life. It's very interesting. I mean, that's, they've made that part of their linchpin in their presentation of their party. But listen, I think John would say, listen, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. In fact, what John is saying, and I want to encourage you, stop marveling. Stop being surprised at the world's hostility towards you. It is only natural for them to hate you. As one said, hatred is the world's currency. Listen, as I speak, believers around the globe are being persecuted, they are being harassed, and they are being slaughtered, and they are being martyred. And and I think one of the things we don't want to do is just put our head as an ostrich in the sand. You say they are? Listen, you know this, that there were more death, there were more people martyred in the Christian faith in the 20th century than the previous 19 centuries combined. That's the facts. You say, well, gosh, it's dying down. No, no, no. What do you mean it's dying down? There were more people killed in the last century for the cause of Christ than the previous 19 centuries combined. And so what John is saying is, listen, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Listen, your presence of righteousness, make no mistake about it, will rebuke the world's wickedness as Abel's did, and it will result in hatred towards you. In fact, let me extend it. Don't be surprised if your unbelieving family hates you. I'm trying to encourage you. Say, ah, pastor, it's been really hard. I know. Stop marveling, though. Stop being surprised. Righteous Abel was treated with hatred and contempt and murder. Don't be surprised by your rejection. I mean, Jesus said this in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would... The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. It's because of Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. There's no objective reason. He said in John 17, 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So John just says, listen, don't be surprised, okay? Here's the antithesis. You got the command for you to love. Then the, the antithesis comes in, murder. Don't be surprised. But watch verse 14 now. Here's the contrast. But we know, okay, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the what? Here's one of the distinguishing marks. So here's C in your outline, the test of love. It's the test of love. And you'll note the language there in verse 14. We've passed out of death. Past is past tense. The transfer's already occurred. Eternal life is not only reached after one's death. It begins at regeneration. It begins at being born again. And the Christian life, again, as we looked a week ago, is the quickening from death actually to life, a passing out of death into life itself to be born again. That's what it means. Jesus said that whoever hears my words in 524 and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and he does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. And so we know, listen, here's the point, 
that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, okay? We know we have eternal life because we love the body of Christ. Listen, this is, this is what believers are. I mean, we were at the membership class this morning having a wonderful time with the saints, and we were talking about the sovereignty of God today. And you recognize that he's sovereign in that as we preached a week ago. But not only is he sovereign in your salvation, he sovereignly places you in a local church. There's no such thing as a believer who's disconnected from the church. And so what John is saying is, listen, here's how you really know. It's not some mighty deed performed, you know, on on the mission field. Do you just love the people of God? Do you love the body of Christ? I mean, I would just tell you, I do. I I want you to know if you cut me, I'm going to bleed local church blood. I mean, it's just going to, it's going to just come out of me because I love the local body. And I think, well, is that anything special? No, I'm a a believer, but I just love the people of God. I want to be around the people of God. I want to worship with the people of God. You want to be in the word of God with the people of God. And so here's the distinguishing mark of a believer. Look what John said back in chapter 2 and in verse 10. He said there, just in a different way, whoever loves his brother abides in the what? In the light. If you love the people of God, you're abiding in the light. So eternal life, let me make sure that I'm so clear with you. Eternal life is not earned by loving the brother but by loving the brethren. But it is the evidence of the love of God in your heart. Does that make sense? You're not saved because you love the body of Christ. No, the root is God in his sovereignty. The fruit is that you love people. And I I suppose, I, I don't have it in my notes. I mean, give me an illustration, Scott. Maybe I'm thinking. It's impossible for someone to name Christ and not be part of the body of Christ. You, you can't walk an aisle, pray a prayer, sign on a dotted line, talk about when you're a child, and not love this. If you love him, you love this. If you've been born again, then you want to be around the people of God. You don't avoid the people of God for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, and somehow say I'm part of the kingdom. In fact, if I can just cut straight because I love you, okay, that person who's not part of the body of Christ as a child of the devil. That's pretty strong, but that's what John says. I mean, if you love them, you're going to practice righteousness. And if you really love them, you're going to love the brethren. Because if you don't practice righteousness in 310, you're of the devil. And if you don't love the brethren, you're of the devil. I mean, that is just the basic, basic truth. And, And again, I want you to understand here that this love, again, is not a mere flash of love. Love for one another is proof of the reality of, of one being born again. And you just love the people of God. Now look what John does. He follows that up with two negative statements, though. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And then he says, whoever does not love abides in what? Death. I mean, if you don't love... And here in the text, love one another, you're abiding in death. And you'll note that he uses that language. Look at verse 14. Whoever does not love abides in death. And I think what John's doing is he's taking a shot at the Gnostics here. It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. If you don't love one another, then you're abiding in death. In fact, look back at chapter 2, verse 9. Remember where he was so clear there? And again, he's getting into what people say and how they live in 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the, what? Darkness. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever, verse 11 to 11, hates his brother, is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In other words, what John is saying is you can profess and talk all you want, but if somehow your life doesn't love the people of God, you're not one of his children. But that sounds a little preachy. I could turn it around and just say, listen, if I'm preaching and you're saying, gosh, Scott, I I do love the body of Christ. I do love the people of God. 
then you understand that's a distinguishing mark of the fruit of your salvation. If you say, Scott, there's been times I've been discouraged, but I can't get away from the truth and his people. Listen, that's a, that's a distinguishing mark. You say, there's been times I've, I've doubted, but I, I haven't been able to leave. Listen, it's because you have a love for God and a love for his people. So they who do not love here abide in death. They don't have eternal life, and he would mean without exception. But watch this. It gets a little bit more interesting. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a what? Murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's an amazing statement. And again, I, I want to just, when it says that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, I want to be fair to the text here. John is not talking about a momentary fit of anger okay, towards someone. The one that he designates as a murderer here is one who continually hates his brother, okay? He's talking about practice. In fact, look over in your Bible at 1 John 4, verse 20. We'll double back to it. He says there, does John, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has what? Not seen. you got to love people. Now, let me just probe this just a little bit with you. Look back at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. I mean, it could just be a reference to Cain's murder of his brother Abel. Or, 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 likely, probably, for sure, it's a reference to our Lord's teaching. Ooh, are you ready? That anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment as those who commit actual murder. I mean, most of you might sit in here and think, listen, that doesn't apply to me. I've never done that before. However, the real issue before us is to ask, what constitutes murder? And is murder only an action or is there something else at stake as, as well? See, one, one church father said it this way, old quote. He said, the, per, the person one hates, one desires to disappear. And he went on to say, and this was, his name was John of Jerusalem, hatred is a desire to get rid of someone whether or not one has physically murdered them or not. You say, where do you get that teaching? His name is what? Jesus. You say, how so? Well, let me show you. Go back to Matthew. You've seen this, and I want you to turn there with your eyes. Matthew chapter 5. You say, wait, wait a minute, Scott. You're, you're telling me anger is equated with and makes one guilty of murder? Yes. You say, where? Christ taught that. Christ taught in Matthew 5 that hatred in your heart is equivalent to murder. You said he did? Yes. Let me just remind you in 5.21, and you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be, it says, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Stop there just for a second. He says, you've heard that the ancients said this, you shall not commit murder, or here in the text, yeah, you shall not murder. You've heard that, and clearly we can go back to the Old Testament, that God's law forbids murder. None of us would question that. In fact, do not murder is the sixth commandment in Exodus 20, 13, where it says that you shall not, what? Murder. It's just that simple. Listen, killing anybody directly or indirectly or being an accessory to it is strictly prohibited. It is a sin. Now, now let me remind you, okay, just for balance, this is always the hard part in teaching, okay, that we're talking here about criminal killing. 
We're not talking about killing out of self-defense. We're not talking about war. We're talking about murder. Criminal killing for personal reasons is a sin against holy God. In fact, look what, look what he says there in 21. You can see it. You shall not murder, verse 21. And whoever murders will be liable to what? To judgment. We understand that, okay? The one who was guilty of murder or accused of murder, according to Numbers 35, would have to appear before a court. And let me just ask you, what did God's word say the punishment was for violating the sixth commandment? At least you could go to Genesis 6. Whoever sheds men's, man's blood by man, his blood shall be what? Shed. For in the image of God, he has made man. The murderer, you know, died. Say, what? why? Why was death required of the man who murdered? Well, because there in Genesis 9, 6, man is made in God's image, and to take a life was to mar the holiness of that image. So this we agree. But would you look at the radical statement that he said in 21? Okay? And I don't want you to put blinders on your ear and say, la, 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 you know. Listen. Jesus said, but I say to you, he raises it. It's true what the ancients said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of what? Fire. Listen, Jesus said everyone who is angry with his brother. He's talking here about a brooding And I'm talking to us, okay? A simmering anger that festers and is nurtured. He's talking about holding a grudge. He's talking about smoldering bitterness. He's talking about a refusal to forgive another. Whether that another is a spouse or an employee or a neighbor or a co-worker or a church member or a family member. In fact, Hebrews 12, 15 calls this the root of bitterness. And listen, Jesus ups the ante. He said that's sin. So Jesus states, if you can see this, that not only is murder sin, and I'm just telling you what he said, but anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment as well. So Jesus here redefines it, that murder is not only an outward act only, but a symptom of an inward attitude so that murder is not solely an issue of the hands, it's an issue of the what? Of the heart. And now I think we get it more clearly. Remember when Jesus said, you know the quote in Mark 7, 21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed what? The evil thoughts and fornications, thefts, murder, and adulteries. Oh, those things happen externally. But Jesus said they come from within. So Jesus declares that a person who is angry with his brother in his heart is guilty of first-degree murder and deserves a murderer's punishment. I mean, it is very possible that some of you could be on death row right now for this. Okay? Now, I know some of our men, they're talking to guys in prison who are multiple murders. Multiple. Every week they go in. These guys are, huh, some of them are triple offenders. You and I get that. But Jesus says, listen, right now, if you're, if you're holding that, then, then you're guilty of that. Okay? You could be guilty of it and be on death row. You could be as guilty as the murderer by the hatred in your heart. And possibly, I could reason, fear keeps you from the act. Fear might keep you from the deed. Cowardice, maybe even opportunity, but our Lord well knows the condition of our hearts. Now listen, let me reason with you a little bit here. This does not mean, okay, that hatred in the heart does the same amount of damage, uh, if you will, or involves the same degree of guilt as actual murder. I think we understand that. Your neighbor would rather have you, have you hate him than have you kill him. I think we understand that. But in God's sight, 
Hatred is the moral equivalent of murder. See, I just think we could pray like the Pharisee. God, I thank thee that I'm not like these other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. You remember that? But maybe we need to say, Lord, forgive me. We have blood on our hearts. I mean, have you ever thought or said to someone, I wish they were dead? I mean, this is serious stuff. Now, you say, well, yeah, but Scott, Jesus got angry in the temple. You say, that's a double standard. No, because our Lord's anger was a righteous anger. It's an anger that arises when sin and injustice are committed and when God's glory is robbed and his name is blasphemed. In this passage, our Lord is referring, obviously, to an unrighteous anger. So often we burn in anger and hostility and resentment, not at sin's injustice, but at the person, fair, who offended us. It's when our ego is bruised, when, not when God's glory is defamed. So look what, look what John says. Look back now in verse 15. He says there, and I think we understand it. It says in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, And it says that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, let me just clarify this for the men who work in the prisons. John certainly does not mean that a person who has committed murder can never be saved from that sin. No, John is simply declaring that the saved person by nature does not commit murder, does not practice murder, okay? John, and here, he's not speaking about disagreements we have with one another as much as he's addressing an attitude of hatred which would destroy another. So listen, I think what John's just saying is our nature is so different than that of the world and that of Cain. We love the body. We love the people of God. We, we would say with the apostles, where do we go? You have the words of eternal life. But listen, if you look in your hearts over the years and you say, well, Scott, I do love the people of God. I I do love the the things of the scripture. I love to be in fellowship. And I realize I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. Then praise God. That's a distinguishing mark of a believer that you love one another. Part of what I'm trying to do is equip you to, to people who name Christ, who were part of it, but somehow they're just completely gone. And, and you know that I've had people, mothers, it's so sad. I'm being really honest and vulnerable. Scott, my, my child, their child's about 35, okay? But they were there in Awanas. They were there when we memorized Scripture. I, and and their, their tears, I, I saw them with the Word. I, I, I saw them responsive. And I get that. I don't doubt. But from 13, 15, 17, 18, they're long gone never to return to the house of God. And, I, and John's just saying, listen, if you're really one of his, you're going to love the people of God. You know what they say in, in, in the Southern Baptist Convention? And again, some strong, some weak within the Southern Baptist. They say that at 18, they lose 80% of their youth, never to come back to the local church. And they say, well, they, they lost it. Or they're saved and they're carnal. No, maybe they never, what, had it. Listen, if you love the people of God, you're you're good. And you're, listen, my heart for Grace Church of the Valley is that we just love one another. There's a lot of things that we can say, but, and you are doing that. And I just, I say, excel still more. Because as we love one another in this body, I'm telling you, the world's gonna wonder what's going on in there. When we come together next week at the Thanksgiving feast, we ought to just rejoice to be able to be together. But we love the people of God. That's why our church started. That's why we're framed. That's why we're formed. And we need to love one another. John says, listen, it's not a matter of maturity. It's a distinguishing mark if you're really in God's kingdom. See, that's why John says, let us not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. We're not like him. You say, well, why? Because we know, verse 14, that we've passed out of death into life. Hey, one thought. It's kind of antithetical. 
You say, you know, like when you were speaking, Scott, and I don't know if this is true, you're convicted by something I said. And, and you're brooding over it. And it could be that you're brooding over it in your family. Listen, you know the hardest funerals that I do? are Well, you know the hardest? Are just funerals. Say, why? Well, because someone died. No, it's not because someone died, though that's, we suffer the human loss. Funerals are really hard because usually... If, if, if the family's not saved, all the sin comes out on one of those. And every past bitterness that has never been fixed comes out because you got to come to the person who passed. And man, it's a sight to behold. But I, I'd say to you, don't wait. You say, why? Look over at Matthew 5. Go back to that text. I didn't exposit all of that, but enough to give it to you, Okay. He says, you know, if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. And I'm in Matthew 5.23. So, Grace Church of the Valley, Jesus said in Matthew 5.23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, do you understand the Lord would be more pleased if you made something right with somebody in this flock or in somebody in this community than your act of worship today? So listen, if you feel the weight of that and the sting of that, then make that right. The Lord would be so gracious. You might even have to open your hand and forgive someone. They, you say, but they haven't asked for it. I don't care. You're commanded in the scripture to forgive. You say, well, yeah, you are. Yeah, you forgive them from the heart before they ask it. Listen, you don't want a root of bitterness. People, we live in a tough world, don't we? We live in a tough world. And ministry is tough. And if you're not, you can get, just get sucked up and become a bitter pill the rest of your life because of what people have done to you and whatever the circumstance. But listen, if your brother has something, if you know, I say go, make it right so that love will abound in this place. And listen, do your best as you pray. Help, say, Lord, help me love people. I, I gotta, I'll close with this, I'm, and then I'm done. I was in Fresno. I told a membership on Friday. This is, I, it's probably, it, I, I say this because I, I want you to know I have to pray over what I preach on, right? So I'm in Fresno down at the county quarter reporter, whatever it is. You know, I, first of all, I don't kind of know where I'm going. I feel like I'm going to Yosemite. And then I get, okay, then this lady is talking to me in my GPS. Turn here. And okay, I'm turning there. And then I get downtown. And then I, I, I had a problem with a marriage license with my daughter. And I'm like, miss, I've done hundreds of these. But pastor, you struck 16 twice on the document. Like if, if I wrote out September 16th because I didn't think the one came in on the ink, I struck over it to darken it. Like, wouldn't you normally do that? And she rejected it because of that. And I'm like, well, ma'am, are you telling me my daughter's living in sin? No, I, I knew they were, they were married. So I had to get, because they couldn't open a bank account. They're probably eating macaroni and cheese in Seattle. They can't do anything. So I said, okay, Christine, I'll go down. So I drive down. I go into this one, I go, I go into this room and I thought, man, I, I hope there's a cop around me because I was in a, I was just in a sea of people and I thought, whoa, you never know what might go on in here. So I had to get this document. Then they got the document back to me and I said, she said I could do a walkover. She said, so go over around the corner, go up the street to Larry, and you're going to, Larry, I think it is, and you're going to see this big horse. And sure enough, there was, it was at the hair maker, Vidal Sassoon. No, no, it was Dave, it was an Armenian horse, you know, it was just big. Dave, what's his name? Where's Rex? Russ. What's that guy, that statue's name? Sassoon. And so there, I'm like at the building. So I go up the third floor, and I got this document that they need to record, and and I thought, I'm just kind of looking around. You never know what could happen in here. And this girl starts talking and swearing. And I'm like, whoa, here we go. And, uh, and, and I'm at the, I, and she, the lady's apologizing. Pastor, I'm sorry, you have to hear this. And uh, I said, well, you know, and then somebody confronted her and, they, and she left the building and then cops showed up. And so I get this form and I'm leaving. All, all the time. So I'm leaving. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm back to, you know, Kingsburg, back to the Central Valley here. And uh, I, though it is up there. And so I get it, I stop in, I, I have to use the restroom. So I get a cup of coffee and I go into this 
Armenian restaurant, okay? And you know it's Armenian because I walked in. Now, make sure you understand, not an Armenian, non-Calvinist, an Armenian restaurant. And I'm like, hey, I know the Zacharians. I, I mean, I'll go in there, you know? And so I go in there, and this lady's just sweeping. She's sweeping, okay? And, and I'm like, how are you? I, she says, okay, but we're closing shop. It's breakfast and lunch right there by the courthouse. I said, oh, I just wanted to get a cup of coffee, use the restroom. She goes, oh, my, my, it's a crazy week. My grandma just died. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I said, my father just died. I, I understand your loss and your grief. And she said, oh, it's just been a crazy, crazy week. And I said, that's just hard. And here you are working. I, I said, are they, are they having a funeral for you? Yeah, just, we're at Holy Trinity Church. I said, okay. So, and then the restroom opened because the restaurant was closed. So I go in there and then I come out of the restroom and she's working and I didn't want to bother her kind of. So I go out of the thing and I get in my car and I leave, but I'm kind of convicted because I'm preaching on this. I'm driving, and like, Scott, you should turn around. I'm like, I don't want to turn around. <laughs> Scott, you should turn around. Well, I don't, Lord, I don't really want to turn around. And you know what? You're sovereign, aren't you? I knew you were sovereign, you know? And, and I'm driving, and the lady's saying, turn here on Iono. And then I'm turning, and then there I am right at the 41. And I'm thinking, I got I got Here's the freeway. I'm getting on, and I thought, no. Because you know it's one of those deals that if you leave and get on the freeway, you'll just never go back. So I pulled a Yui, and then I go back. I thought, i got to tell this lady, this Armenian woman, about Christ. I, I wasn't verbal enough. And so I drive back, and I can't find the coffee shop. Lord, you've you got to find it for me if I'm going to go in and say something because Pastor Demo made me up our Grace Church of the Valley cards. I got my card on me and so I can give it to her. Okay, so sure enough, I turn the corner and there it is. I'm like, okay, Lord. And so I get out of the car, but I don't have any money because you have to put it in a little deal or you, I, Lord, you know, I can't be found guilty of your law by not paying this little fee. So Lord, if you don't let me find money, I'm in, I'm in trouble. So sure enough, a nickel appears. So I was just searching, you know. I put a nickel. I found one other nickel. I got 10 cents in there for 12 minutes, and I go back in. And I said, I am so sorry. You know, I came in just a few minutes ago, and, um, and uh, I want you to know I'm a pastor. And I said, is there any way that I can help you? She says, no, thank you. I said, well, here's my card. And I just spoke with her. She's still working. But I thought the Lord wanted me just to go back and be obedient, right? So as I come out, it's an Armenian family. I said, hey, I just was talking to the worker in there. He says, that's my daughter. I said, oh, and I said, then that's your mom who died. His name was Corin. So I got a chance right there out of the restaurant, not to talk to her, but to talk to her father, who that was his mother or his daughter's grandmother. And I got a chance to share Christ with him just briefly. But the reason I tell you that is I'm driving on my way out the first time and it came into my heart and it's not expressly, I, don't, I didn't love them. I did not love them. And I was too busy. And I thought, I'm too, I gotta go. And I just had to say, Lord, forgive me. Because if I really loved the body, or in that case, maybe even an unbeliever, I'd go back, and I'm thankful that I went back, but I want you to know I had to confess that to the Lord for not being used of the Lord at the first time. I mean, at least, at least I went back, but I've been married to my wife long enough that she would have forever said, you should have went and talked to her, you know? So one of the reasons I turned around was because that we've had a lot of stuff happen like that, haven't we, Patty? One time, I, and I'm really going to close. There's a lunchtime. But one time, we were, we were coming out of uh, Chicago, and we paid for something downtown, and uh, the guy in the booth I gave the money to, and we drove out. Patty said, you should have talked to him. I said, why should I have talked to him? Because I, that guy, he needs the Lord. Patty, how do you know that? Scott, I just, something's going on with that guy. So I'm like, how many f miles were we, Patty? Four or five? And I knew I would have been hearing it for 30 miles down into the Wheaton. I said, okay, Patty, here we go. So I pulled back into the parking lot, into the structure, and she looks at me. I said, well, you're getting out. No, no, you got to get out. So I get out of the car. I said, listen, I get out of the car. I said, listen, I'm a pastor, and I just came through here 10 minutes ago, and um, do you know the Lord? And as soon as I said, do you know the Lord, 
his eyes got to saucers. I said, I'm really sorry I offended you, didn't I? He goes, no. And he went inside his booth, and I thought, oh, no, let's get it. And he brings out of this booth this letter this girl had written him on the end times. And he's reading it as I came through the booth and got a chance to share Christ with him, thankful for my wife's awareness of people in their need. But listen, love people. Love our body. Love one another. Love the people in your own family. And by this, they'll know that God is in us. Amen?